Welcome to another episode of the Founder Fundamentals Podcast. My name is Rahul Kumar, and today I have the pleasure of sitting down in San Francisco with Shashank Samala, co-founder and VP of product at Tempo Automation. Tempo Automation is the world's fastest electronics manufacturer for prototyping and low-volume production of printed circuit boards. Thanks for joining us, Shashank. Hey, thanks, Rahul, for having me. Shashank, for those of us that don't know, please walk us through what a PCB actually is. Printed circuit board assembly, it's the simplest way to think about it, it's the brains behind any hardware, right? It's in your laptops, your computers, your setting in front of a TV now, satellites, robots, medical devices. They're the brains that run the world. Yeah, we have the great opportunity here to help electrical engineers building new versions of them, new products, new versions of old products. Super fortunate to help all of these various engineers across all markets. So basically in the hardware space, you're the one providing the picks and shovels to those that are going out and digging gold. You could say that, yep. (laughs) Where'd you get the name Tempo from? There is music analogies that you can make. And there is other words like allegro, cadence. Um, It's actually in electronics industry itself. There is many companies. There's actually a company called Cadence, which has a product, Allegro. And we wanted to find something that resonated with this rapid cadence of rapid prototyping, rapid iteration of ideas that we were so compelled by. So we, we, I guess to give context, you know, we were so thrilled by just looking at software engineers and what happened in software the last 20 years. You can write code, you can test code really quickly, and there's many tools and infrastructures, software libraries that enabled an engineer to iterate ideas quickly. And I think that's, you know, the reason we have the Ubers of the world, Facebook, Netflix, is all these applications are partly a result of the big influx of software engineers we've had in the last 20 years, right? It's like the the barrier to entry has become so low because of all these tools. And it's like, if you want to build a communications tool, there's Twilio, there's, you know, payments abstraction with Stripe, and there's many, many uh, tools out there. And when you look at electronics, the number of electrical engineers that exists out there, it's actually kind of been the same for the last couple of decades. And it's a result of not much focus on improving the tools that they have. If you want to increase the number of electrical engineers, you need to lower the barrier to entry. And by improving the tools, we, we think we can do it. Fundamental part of that is, you know, empowering anyone to think of an idea and iterate it super quickly. And, you know, traditionally it takes two weeks to months, depending on the complexity of the design, to go from an idea to something you can test. So we wanted, if we thought that if we can take that down to a few days, we could empower a lot more engineers. You're sitting at Cornell where you graduated from. Was the mission at that point really to empower people to ideate? Or I guess what was the real reason for starting the company at that point? Or is it somewhere, you know, is this space just really interest you? Actually, it's funny. It's like if I knew enough about electronics manufacturing that I did today, I would probably not start the company. Interesting. Uh, it's it's de- ignorance is definitely bliss. Okay. Uh, it's, <laughs> but it's uh, worked out well for you, to say the least. It's. I mean, we're still in the very, very early earnings. It's a very hard problem. Series um, C. So by market definition, you're almost like maturing, getting to late stage. <laughs> I feel like we're just getting our minds around the problem. I'm not even kidding when I say this and, <laughs> and when employees listen to this, they'll understand it's a massive problem. And, you know, we have lots of great customers who use this. I think, you know, the, the customer experience that we provide is you know, is fairly good. And, you know, we're, we're in, in many standards, we're a lot better than the competition, but there's so much more to go. So I guess going back to your question, at Cornell, I was taking all kinds of different classes. I was taking economics, philosophy, like I dropped into nuclear engineering classes, I dropped into 
in foci classes, I took a bunch of robotics classes. It's I, I was just interested in a lot of different fields and disciplines. So I think it was it was a, just a great school to be part of, to be exposed to so many things. And after college, I was walking around in Maker Faire. This Maker Faire is this massive science fair for, for adults. My co-founder, Jeff, was showing off this robot. And essentially, it's an all-time maker that he removed the extruder and the plastic extruder and put in this pneumatic vacuum pump in. And essentially, he was trying to create this prototype, kind of janky looking pick and place machine that would place components on a circuit board on your desk. And it was sort of like a 3D printer, but for electronics. And the whole idea was, you know, if you can, if you can build mechanical enclosure on your desk so quickly, how can you do that with electronics? Turns out it, it's probably, it was a very bad direction to go. Um, what we really needed was a fully robotic factory, not just a robotic pick and place machine on your desk. So when, once I saw that, you know, I had, ba- I had a background in mechanical engineering. I took a bunch of classes there and, and I used to play around with 3D printing. And the pace at which I was going from CAD design to something that I can test was super empowering. So when I saw this, it's you know there's lots of analogies uh, I could draw from. So started helping, and you know companies are a lot different. Five years later, six years later now, lots of interesting learnings over the over the course of time. The website says that you're the world's fastest electronic manufacturer, specifically for low production. What is the secret sauce at the end of the day? What about the workflow makes you the world's fastest electronic manufacturer for that segment? So it's a prototyping and low volume production. So what we do is you know we help electrical engineers prototype designs quickly. So that's, you know, batches of five or 10 or 15, 15, uh, you know, 20, you know, whatever it is. And for low volume production, so this is essentially, you know, boards that go into rockets or satellites or medical devices. There's lots of markets where your highest quantities, your production quantities are in the hundreds to low thousands. So we have lots of customers in those industries where, you know, we call it the cradle to grave. They prototype with us, they, they produce with us, they go through the whole process. So what, what makes us uh, the fastest, um, you know, it's actually not just speed that, that we're known for, it's flexibility, it's, it's uh, customer experience, it's, it's a lot more transparent. You know, manufacturing has been a black box, uh, just knowing exactly what is happening on the floor has been, you know, as a customer sitting, you know, hundreds of miles away, um, there is no transparency into exactly what process your, your boards are and what defects uh, your boards might be getting. So software uh, in, 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 the, in the quickest sense of the word is the secret sauce. What we want to do is essentially build an unbroken digital thread from design upload all the way to delivery. So that's essentially understanding designs, building a software understanding of the design, and streaming that data downstream to the various supply chain vendors, to the factory floor, to the machines on the floor, to people guiding them through the floor. It's, you know, the whole process, you know, automatically programming the machines. So all this process, if you start to end, if you you take out all the manual steps and replace it with software, it becomes a lot more automated, a lot less quality issues, a lot faster, and you get boards that are not just you know, something at a speed that you've never seen before, but also you, there's a lot more data that we can give customers around how this design performed when it saw the realities of the manufacturing floor. So would you classify yourself more as a software company or a hardware company then? So we're definitely a, a software and services company. As a customer, when, when you experience Tempo, it's sort of like ordering toothpaste from Amazon, right? As a customer, it's very transparent. It's an order magnitude. Uh, more complex than uh, wearing toothpaste from Amazon. But I think fundamentally, 
all the process steps, all the supply chain integrations, everything is incredibly transparent. And that gives you confidence, that gives you data to help you improve your design for the next iteration. The experience that, you know, we, we like to talk about GitHub a lot. You know, what, what GitHub gives software engineers is this sort of seamless, collaborative, contextual experience to develop software. And we want to kind of do the same here with, with electronics. For an engineer or for someone that's building a completely new product, are we skipping the breadboarding phase? Or do you still see your customers still doing breadboarding then come with the design to you? Both. There is lots of legacy designs. They, you know, they improve without obviously going back to breadboarding. And people use development boards, breadboarding, especially uh, folks that have limited funding early on. Uh, we see yeah, various types of processes early on, but you know, obviously for custom boards, we, we were usually the first step that they go to. You mentioned rockets and medical devices previously. What customers do you typically serve? Customers who value time to market okay. um, and value reducing manufacturing risk in their timelines, whether that's, that's budget, timeline, or quality. Customers who value managing all of that risk. If you, if you look at uh, the, the list of customers we have, it's folks that have you know hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars that they're losing every day because it's one less day that they're in market for, and you know it's if it takes an extra day that you know this medical device is not in the market, it's lots of lost revenue every day that they, they enable the engineer to make better designs uh, that they can save in timeline, uh, the better. So speaking of the engineers that are making designs, you know, Rock, as you mentioned, high ticket item, you know, medical devices, probably a lot of patents around that. So the software that actually optimizes the design for manufacturing, how does Tempo go about handling the security of those actual designs? So we are handling the heart of a company uh, when we handle IP. And so first off, like our, all our systems are actually on uh, Amazon GovCloud, which is a lot more secure. It's only accessed by US citizens. So uh, one of the constraints we have with our customers is a lot of our airspace customers require ITAR, International Trade and Armed regula Regulations. And every person who handles that data has to be a citizen. And actually, we're really the only full end-to-end -end ITAR compliant software architecture. So what was the hardest part of starting Tempo and continuing operations here? I think one of the the, the things with... One of the aspects of Tempo that we didn't appreciate early on is how many different disciplines that we had to bring together to build a great company that offered the service that we are. And, you know, there is many incumbents uh, who've built boards for the longest time and for, for decades. And for us to learn and be better at quality, at, at on-time delivery, at, at just the table stakes, building the most complex designs out there, you know, building flight computers that, that go into rockets, building boards that go into medical devices. The margin of error is incredibly low. So not only we do we have to meet the table stakes, but we have to build software and process that go well beyond what the industry offered, uh, what the industry knew for, for decades long. And we had to be we had to bring in a very important combination of industry expertise, but on also folks who've never seen this problem set before. So, you know, on, on the, in the industry experience side, you know, design for manufacturing, process engineering, QA, you know, production talent, and, and you know, obviously the normal sales, marketing, finance, 
in, and obviously on, on the R&D side, uh, we had to bring together lots of different exper- ex- expertise within our, our software team to think about problems in, in new and different ways. So I think hiring and recruiting for this type of company um, is incredibly hard. That's a major challenge that we've gone over the last few years. And you know, obviously the, the, that problem is definitely a lot easier now because we have a, a good infrastructure in place for recruiting and for for onboarding new folks and knowing know, knowing who to hire is also a, a big question that, uh, that 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 we went over early on. So in a combination with the combination of, of hiring the right talent and and also just a low margin of error um, is I would say a couple of probably the two most major, major ones that we've seen. And as you get the answers and figure out kind of the solutions to the hard problems of running a business like this. Do you believe that ends up becoming a part of your moat to preventing competition from coming in? There's many different ways to think about moat for us. Uh, you know, th- think about SpaceX, right? It's one of the things that I think their moat is, is actually their supply chain complexity. One of the things that enables them to be so agile in development is how integrated their internal supply chain system is. And for them to be able to make a change and have a supply chain vendor respond to that change quickly is actually not a lot of people know about that type of internal complexity that, that, that they've built around it. I think that's actually their biggest mode, you know, having thousands of manufacturers tagged on to, to their internal systems. You know, for us, it's a very similar thing. It's um, our software that manages a lot of supply chain complexity um, is actually what is, is something that's very hard to do. We have multiple different component vendors, fabrication vendors, uh, lots of equipment uh, uh, and ro- robots that we use here, and lots of data that we collect. Every order that we see, there is a lot of data that we collect about what uh, what the defects were, what the patterns what the patterns are that we record, and that makes each and subsequent order a lot more efficient and a lot higher quality. So this complexity and data, um, when you combine them together, it's, it essentially creates a, a lot, very challenging for other folks to kind of replicate what we're doing here. I'd actually, you know, I'd be super curious to see how other people may, other companies may look at this problem. And, you know, so far we haven't seen real competition around uh, using software to change electronics manufacturing. We were discussing earlier literature on building businesses. So I think just from what I've seen that's out there, there's a lot more on software than there is on how to actually build a hardware business. People don't want to go into hardware businesses. It's hard. They want to stay away from it. So to better understand how you actually start a hardware business, walk us through the steps from day one to raising your first round. So I mean, it's, I, as, as I said, it's a software and services company, right? In general, you know, what we have going for us is you know, we have massive, massive market. It's a, you know, we have software that is managing the physical world, and the physical world is very complex. There's very few folks who, who try to take on these types of problems, and so initially, I think you know what what helps is traction, right? Uh, when you see when when you see customers flocking to Tempo, because this is the this is the thing that they're waiting for 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 years. But know? even like before customers actually flock to Tempo, so you know you're sitting in a specific area, you're like, I want to start this company. What's the first thing that you actually did to start the company? Did you just chat with a friend? Did you go to a lawyer? Was there an accountant involved? Like, how do you actually set this up? So Jeff, my co-founder, was was uh, the one with the original idea, and and when I had joined, you know, it was really about taking this uh, pick and place robot uh, that that we had built and ensuring that okay, so how do we scale that robot? Okay. Uh, 
and how do we sell that? And obviously, we we had a very a lot of hard time getting funding for that idea, and it was probably rightfully so. Uh, it was sort of a had direction to go in um, to to solve it. But eventually, when, once we sort of pivoted and focused on, you know, the vision stayed the same. How do we enable electrical engineers to rapidly iterate designs? But when we pivoted to a service where, you know, customers can upload a design, click a button, uh, get boards a few days later, and it's it's backed by software that manages factory and, 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 and supply chain. We fortunately did that with very low uh, amount of uh, initial capital. Uh, so we had bootstrapped a little bit from Jeff's previous work, and we got some initial angel capital from folks who believed in, in the vision, probably not necessarily the the idea. But once we started uh, introducing customers, people were happy. Our initial customers were from the Bay Area, lots of hardware startups here. And once that, once we saw meaningful traction and, and you know, rapid growth month to month, uh, it, it, it attracted bigger institutional funds to, to back us. Imagine for manufacturing PCBs, you can pretty much nail down the cost to the dollar of what it'll cost you to run a specific project. When you raised your first round, how much scrutiny was there around the actual unit economics of a business like Tempo? The unit economics looks long-term at scale, uh, looks much more like a software business. So our, we talk about, there's actually a company, Protolabs, the stock ticker is PRLB, um, and they've done pretty well, you know, trading at pretty high multiples, a lot closer to a, to a software company. And So do you have your vision set in IPO eventually? The, that is definitely one, one opportunity. We definitely think that there is a great comp already out there in the public markets. I think longer term, unit, unit economics look, looks a lot like uh, a software company. And you know, there's, the other thing that people don't quite realize is when you have such a massive market and also a new way of thinking about the electrical engineering experience where you know, in the past, you know, it take weeks or months to just iterate one idea, and now it's it's a it's it's a few days, and uh, and the step after that is okay. How do we make it a collaborative one? How do we make it a transparent one? You know, how do we create an experience that's close closer to that of GitHub? You know, you start to think differently about the company altogether. You transform your electrical engineering development experience. It's not just about getting boards. It's about the development experience, and uh, when you look at how Many of these hardware programs, you know, that go on at Lockheed Martin or, you know, these medical device companies, uh, they, they spend tens of millions of dollars on these programs. And if you can make them 10% more efficient, 20% more efficient, it uh, you'll save them a lot. Yeah, it's a uh, it's, the economics completely changes. It's it's not just being a you know, manufacturer, right? It's a difference in how we develop electronics altogether. So I think that's the opportunity we have. That's that's what we are seeing with our customers. So we're you know, capacity has, has been a constraint for us from, from the beginning, and we're, we're looking to sort of be ahead of that. And uh, so we're super excited to see what uh, the next couple of years holds. So you recently completed your Series C. First off, congratulations. What's next for Tempo? Continued growth uh, with enterprises. Um, so as I said uh, early on, uh, 80 to 90% of our revenue comes from big ambitious projects uh, from NASA to GE to Lockheed Martin and more. So it's really understanding what makes these incredibly ambitious and complex projects 
to be developed in a much more agile way to allow them to transform their internal workflows. So a lot more software in the pipeline, so developing our R&D teams and obviously also scaling up our capacity for manufacturing as well as uh, on the go-to-market side. So it's uh, just really uh, scaling across the whole team. Three pieces of advice you'd give new entrepreneurs? Hire people for their strengths, not a lack of weaknesses. I think uh, Ben Horowitz talks about it as well, I think, but I think recently this uh, resonated with me. I think we sort of underestimate when, when you hire, you're looking for sort of a great combination of talents in one person, right? It's like when you, when you hire for an engineer, you're looking for all these things that they're good at, but I think, you know, ensure that they're not weak at uh, X, Y, and Z. But I think especially uh, when you hire leaders, you, you want to make sure that they're stars at something. They're, they're, they're incredibly good at a few things. And, you know, weaknesses is something that you can always complement with, but you definitely don't want to end up with folks who are just okay at a lot of different things. The other one is who are the people that steward your culture? The answer is, I think, you know, everyone. It, 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 obviously, you know, you have leaders who who personify them. And so I think the, the trick becomes, you know, people not looking to you to come up with a decision or to, to figure out what's the next best direction for the, for the, for the team or the company. Um, I think if you can figure out how to embed these principles uh, inculcate them early on to, to early folks um, that hopefully can get multiplied to, to more and more folks as, as, you, as you hire more and more people. So that's one. The other one, you never want to be too late uh, defining a role, I think. So as you scale, uh, you hire multiple folks, you, you hire for specialty, and you can really mess up your culture. You can really mess up relationships when people start stepping on toes and the goals and processes are not clear. So, you know, I was just advising a, a startup uh, that I had invested in uh, some time ago. And it's so interesting how everyone, people with lots of great intentions come into the company and leave the, at the end of the day, just demoralized. And it's not such a huge team, but many teams early on sort of crumble because you're not ahead of this. As I talk about there's this framework, uh, goals, roles, processes, and uh, relationships. So there's GRPI um, framework that, that I uh, tell folks about. Yeah, being incredibly clear about what the goals of the company are, what roles support those goals, what processes support those roles, and then only then people and relationships come aboard. And then you can clearly align a person to the goal and, and the role that they're feel, uh, fitting in. And oftentimes you, you start with people and, and you end up with uh, misaligned goals and, and lots of overlaps. That was Shashank Samala, co-founder and VP of product at Tempo Automation. Thanks so much for joining us, Shashank. Thanks so much, Rahul.